in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our, our God, I welcome you all this morning um, to worship of this great God. Welcome visitors. Uh, always good to have visitors, especially want to welcome you, but I am, I am inspired to be here. It's always inspiring to come and worship together with the saints of God. Open your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to read just a few verses here in opening. And part of my inspiration this morning is I'm compelled to tell you about or to report yesterday's men's meeting that we had right out here in the kitchen. One of our brothers stood up before us and openly stated that he was an alcoholic. And we had a meeting and he testified the entire time about this mental illness that he had suffered from, from alcoholism. And I was so moved. It clearly, uh, this, this spirit had gripped him for lots of years, at least 10 years. And then he found deliverance from it. And it was, it was just very moving to me. Um, so if you weren't here, ask somebody that was, because it was very amazing. Um, but I want to read these verses here. Look for verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a sobering list. And like I said, our brother talked about alcoholism. You can find it in that list right there. Even more sobering, and I was inspired. We're going to get there. Look at the beginning of verse 11. And such were some of you. This congregation that is such an inspiration to me to come to worship God with, it says some of you, we could say such were really all of us at one time or another. We can identify with something here in this list. But the best part about that statement in verse 11 is were. Such were some of you. That's changed. Our brother talked about that at one time in his life, as he got to what sounded like a very low point, he resigned himself to the fact that he was going to die a drunk. And then he had an encounter with Almighty God. Amen. And during that time where he resigned himself to that fact, he said, I also convinced myself that I was an atheist and I didn't even believe in God. God still showed up and gave him a vision that changed his life. And we're, you know, this is several years ago as far as it is to me. I believe it was in the late 90s. But that's not that long ago. And these words were wrote over 2,000 years ago. This is still going on today. God is still calling when we 
step away from God, he still shows up and gives us a vision. He gives us a reason to come back and try him out again. So like I said, such were some of you. We are a congregation of converted sinners here this morning. But by his grace, continue in verse 11. But you are washed, or you are cleaned. You are sanctified, or you are made holy and purified. You are justified in the name of the Lord that I just greeted you in earlier. The name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. It's all changed. Our brother said, he continued to say throughout that men's meeting, I I think it was two or three times, he said, I am amazed. I do not know why I am here. He could give us percentages of the amount of people that suffer from this mental illness of alcoholism, and 1%, it turns out good. And his, when you were here for that testimony yesterday morning, his turned out very good. Um, But it's only one day at a time, he said. So, in our worship service this morning, what is going to happen is like David said in Psalm 51, when he had been, he had had a problem of sin himself. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then when he became restored like our brother, he said he committed himself to helping people with this mental illness. David said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Not may be, not could be, shall be. Shall be converted. This morning, Brother Gail's going to preach. Um, by the power of this Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's why I'm so excited to be here. It, it's always an inspiration to come. So let's... Um, Let's go to prayer. It's time to go to prayer. Brother Phil Durham, I'm going to call on you to pray, if you would, and I'll take prayer requests this time. If there's anything that we need to pray about for you, we need to praise God for you, what, what would your requests be? Bill? Pray for a family in our fellowship out of this state that is, has extreme turmoil. Elisha. Pray for Brother Cephas. Thank you. If there are no more, let's bow in prayer, Brother Phil. God, he is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are you expecting today to encounter from Almighty God as you worship him? Are you expecting an encounter today with the Lord? We meet in public worship here Sunday after Sunday at 930 in the morning for a short devotional service. And this morning, that short devotional service was led by a young brother that has wisdom 
way beyond his years. And just to uh, summarize what he said this morning, it would have went like this. The plans of temporal man and of believers at large are in great contrast to the sovereignty of God. And the first words that we sang in our worship service this morning were like this. Oh, come, let us worship before our great Lord. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit this morning. Welcome to worship. Good morning. We're glad you're here. We uh, spend a time studying the word in a Sunday school class after our 930 service. And as we did that today, about the first question and comment was made, how has your temporal world changed in the last two years? So I got a question this morning as we start that I'd like to put before us. Every day as you live in the circumstances that you live in, and as life unfolds before you on a daily and hourly basis, do you have a calm and a peace from the sovereignty of God within your heart? Or is there more anxiety, more fear, and more frustration with life there? I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, John 14, and you will realize that the setting here is a time when Jesus was with his disciples shortly before he went to the cross. There are several chapters John records, this is one of them. In that setting, a setting between the upper room and Christ's extreme burden and agony in the garden, a time that Christ would be glorified. In fact, uh, that's what he said just before this chapter. He said that this was a time for his hour and that the Father would glorify his name through him. So we're going to just... Uh, Start here at the beginning of the chapter. This is not our text. We'll work our way down to that. But let's just start with the first verse here. Let not your heart be troubled. That's what we've been hearing about today. That's what we heard about yesterday. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, we, uh, we're here, and a responsibility we have as Christian believers is to share the burdens of other people. 
to share the burdens of their heart, to have empathy. But oftentimes, we've not walked in their shoes. We have not experienced what they are experiencing. And so it's just pretty hard for us to be able to understand where they're at. I just uh, had a conversation with a, a young man last week on the phone, and his mother had passed away a few months ago. And um, so we asked him how his dad was getting along, and he said, you know, he said, I think dad's go processing his bereavement pretty well, but he said, really, I don't know. He said, I've never lost a companion, so I really don't know. And that's pretty much the way it is for us. We really can't relate totally to the reality of another, but this verse says that Jesus can. You know, every trouble, every trial, every pain, everything that you will ever experience in life, a heartache, whatever it is, Jesus knows exactly where you are in life. And he's been there in all of those places in his temptation, yet without sin. Therefore, he can say, let not your heart be troubled. Cast all your care upon me. Come to me in your time of need, and I will show you mercy and give you grace. Let not your heart be troubled. I suppose that this first verse, and we're going to turn over to the 27th verse and read this one too, because these are the two verses that brought us to this chapter, though they're not our text. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I want to ask us again this morning, where is my heart? I'll just have to confess that probably one of the things that really drew us to this chapter in these two verses that we have just read is that in the last two years, some of my companion believers, and I'm not talking about this con congregation right here, but some I've known through my life, have given over to a lot more fear and been a lot more troubled than I ever thought they would because of the circumstances in the world. World events, maybe the political scene, maybe the economical scene. Uh, let's just use an example. We all know about the pandemic that's been here for the last couple of years. You don't hear so much about it right now. But that has been a concern to men and to believers, I think, that has been more than concern. It has caused worry and trouble of heart. You know, the world is a kingdom without answers, without cures. And I can assure you that it will get worse and worse and worse. That's what the Bible tells me. Jesus preached a sermon one time on the last days. And he said nations are going to be at war like they are today. 
He said, iniquity is going to abound so much that the love of many will wax cold. I think we see that today. He also said that there's going to be false prophets, and I think that's around today. There's going to be deception. There's going to be the hating and killing of believers. There will be earthquakes, there will be famines, and there will be pandemics. And then he said, men's hearts are going to be failing them for fear because of the things that are coming upon the earth. We are to be aware of the things coming upon the earth, but we are not to dwell there. You know, I think of a prophet a long time ago that prophesied a lot of what Jesus spoke in that sermon. He said that there's going to be the kingdoms of the world they're going to rise up in power, but there's going to be a stone cut out of a mountain without hands, and that stone is going to crush all of those powers, and they're going to go across the thrashing floor like chaff, and there's none of them going to be left, and that stone's going to be a mountain that's going to fill the whole earth, and that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Hallelujah. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. You know, that's what Jesus said at the end of that sermon that he preached at the last times. He said, see that ye be not troubled. Um, we already had spoken to us about atheists this morning. You know, I think you'll find that most atheists were believers at one time. But they dwelt on the injustices of life, and they became bitter, and they renounced God. Now, here's a point I want to make with what I've been saying. I think it is high time that we turned off the news media and the social media, and that we tuned in to Jesus Christ. If we don't, I can assure you, we will have troubled hearts. You know what Jesus said? He said, when you see all these things like we're seeing today, what did he say? Did he say just you ought to, you ought to go on with a troubled heart? That's not what he said, is it? He said, when you see these things coming to pass, upon the earth. He said, then look up and lift up your heads because your redemption's drawing nigh. Hallelujah! Christ is about to come for his people. You know, there's a lot of things we don't like our natural man to happen in the world and the events around us, but you look to scripture and those things need to happen for what we want to happen. I want to give you this encouragement this morning. There will nothing ever happen to you as you encounter life but what it first passed through the Father's hands. And he said it was okay. The sovereignty of God. Well, let's, uh, let's move on in this chapter. We'll work our way down to our text today. 
Verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. That's one sentence. First sentence in the second verse. And you know, I think that sentence stands by itself without the rest of the second verse. Those mansions are already there, Jesus said. So what did he mean when the second part of the verse, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, this, this chapter we said was right between the upper room and the cross. Where was he going? He was going to prepare a place for us. And that place is the way of the cross so that we could get to those mansions and be redeemed and be reconciled to God. The mansions are already there. He didn't go back to prepare the mansions. He went the way of the cross to prepare a way for me to get to the mansion. That's what he said. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that there you may be also. And I realize, I'll just label this as resurrection power, and I know that he's talking here too about a time when we will be eternally redeemed with him in the Father's presence. But I think he has another, another point here, and that is that soon after his crucifixion, he will rise again and he will call his disciples unto himself in a very spiritual way. Are you with Christ today? You know, three days after the cross, he received his disciples to himself and he's still doing that today. He is still doing that today. This is resurrection power to kingdom living today. Verse 4. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. He is just confirming to them again what his purpose is. Where he's going, what his purpose is. Now, I was going to read through this clear to the 10th verse, but I think we'll, we'll not do that all. Let's just think about verses 5 through 10. He names out two disciples here, but really, and he, he's naming Thomas and Philip, but really all of his disciples in his hour of need, his troubled hour, they all forsook him and fled because they did not understand how he would accomplish his purpose. And we probably would have all done that too. So this is the question I have today. Am I really walking by faith? Now we'll go to the fifth verse here and just read that. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And that's the title this morning of the message. 
How can we know the way? You think about verses 4 and 5 together. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know, Lord, how can we know? Lord, we know not whether thou goest, how can we know the way? Just a couple of weeks ago here, Brother Bard had a picture up on the board for us here of Caesarea Philippi. And I want to go there a little bit this morning as we think of these two verses. Caesarea Philippi, an evil place where pagan gods were set up in the cliffs of the hill. And Jesus said to his disciples there when they were in that place down at the base of Mount Hermon, he said, who do men say I am? And they said, well, some of them say you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets Maybe Elijah. And then he got a little more personal. He says, who do you say I am? That's our question this morning. Who in my heart do I say that Jesus is? And Peter spoke up right away and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't figure that out on your own, Peter. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father, which is in heaven, reveal that to you and my point is if I'm going to have peace in my heart and if I'm going to know Jesus I'll never get that on my own it'll have to be delivered to me by the power of that Holy Spirit of God that lives within me well from that point on up at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus set his face steadfast to go to Jerusalem. The Bible says in the prophets that he set his face as a flint. He was going to Jerusalem to give his back to the smiters, to his face, to those who would pluck out the hair. He would face shame and suffering there. From that point on, what was he teaching his disciples? He was teaching his disciples the way of the cross. He taught them that he must go to, and we're getting this from the Gospel of Luke, ninth chapter. He taught them that he was going to Jerusalem and that he must go there and be rejected and suffered there and be killed and rise the third day. I think we'll, uh, I think we'll just turn over there and there's a couple verses we want from that chapter. He said, let these sayings sink down into your ears. And this was after he had already went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and been transfigured there and spoke with Moses and Elias. He said, let these things sink down in your ears. The Son of Man must be delivered 
into the hands of men. You remember what he said there on that Mount of Transfiguration? He says, I'm going to go that my decease might be accomplished. He was going to accomplish something with the way he went to prepare for us the cross. He said, he, that's what he said. Let, it, let, it, let this sink down your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, and they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. They didn't comprehend the reality and the fullness of his teaching. Now I would like to go to the text today, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to concentrate on the first phrase, I am the way. I am the way. How can we know the way? I think I'll uh, illustrate to make a point here. In the days before GPS, when I was a teenager, I went to another part of the country besides Kansas. And the road systems there were not laid out like they were in Kansas. The roads were narrow, they angled, and there were a lot of detours. And as I tried to navigate in that part of the country, I got completely turned around. Probably took a left when I should have taken a right, or turned south when I should have turned west. And not only did I get turned around and lost, but I was completely confused. And I don't think you have to look very far today until you'll see that's exactly where the masses of the people are. They're adrift without any anchor. Some are caught in the current following the large flow of the crowd. Some want to participate in both kingdoms at the same time. And uh, the Bible says that won't work at all. A man that's double-minded is going to be unstable in every way he goes. He's going to be turned with every wind of doctrine. You know, it's uh, kind of like a game. I don't know whether the youngsters play this anymore or not, but when I was just a young boy, we had a game a group of us would play, and it was called Pin the Tail on the Donkey. And there was a, there was a large image of a donkey up in the front of the room, and then there was a group of, of young children that were playing the game, and they had a tail for that donkey. But before they received the tail to take up to the donkey, they were blindfolded, and they were turned around and around and around, and then finally they were stopped so they would be facing the image of the donkey and they were supposed to go up there and pin the tail on it. You know, we were not designed to travel through life blindly. 
I realize that life gives us a lot of curves. And we had this thought shared with us yesterday that I think is really, really pertinent to every life here. We're not to look ahead clear way out in the future and try to determine what all of our circumstances are going to be and how we're going to meet them. We live breath at a time, moment by moment, and it's not hard to trust God if that's the way you live. Moment by moment, trust God. He is in control. Don't let your heart be troubled. He is the way. Trust him. You know, most often when we talk about a way, we talk about a path that's going to lead us somewhere. What Jesus said here, he said, I am the way. He's talking about a person himself that's going to lead us on a path instead of a path that's going to lead us to a person or a place. He is the way. He is the way. You know, uh, I think of the words of Jeremiah. I believe he wrote like this, The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man to direct his steps. We attended a uh, graduation commencement service this last Sunday. And uh, I was really impressed. The superintendent of the school gave a discourse, a short one, to those students graduating. And he said, you're going to leave this place now. And he said, you're going to go out into a world that has very little common sense, a world that is void of a moral compass, and he said, you're supposed to navigate. And then you know what he did? He turned to the word of God. Now this is a superintendent of a public school with hundreds of people there. And he read out of a psalm, and I don't remember which psalm it was because I didn't write it down. But this was the theme of the psalm that he read. If you are going to make it in life, the Lord must direct your way. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the only way. There's no other way besides him. I think, I'll, I think I'll give another illustration. An older brother told me of a time when he was courting his wife. And he lived a couple hundred miles from her. And it was a, a, a winter day. 
snow was a blowing, and it was toward evening time, and he wanted to go see his girlfriend. So he decided that he would take, and this would have been in the late 30s, not conditions like we have today. So he drove his car up to the bus station, and he knew that if he could get right in behind the bus, he'd be following a driver that had been over the route hundreds of times and knew exactly where he was going. And if he could stay close to him and follow him and keep that little red light at the back end of the bus in his vision, he'd make it. And you know, that's what Jesus was saying. He said, if you'll follow me the way Real close, I've been over every trial and way that you have ever went. And if you just stay right with me, we're going to get there. You believe that? <clears throat> Jesus said that he made this way back to the Father. He said, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. He is our Savior, our High Priest, so why is the way so challenging? There's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm just going to acknowledge this right now. I've found that a lot of my challenges in life with myself and with relationships with other people have come because I wanted my own way. Instead of following closely the way Jesus led, I wanted my own way. And that will not bring me peace. I'll have a troubled heart. Jesus said, I am the way, the way of the gospel, the way of the good news. The law was here, and all it could do, though it was perfect, was condemn men. It could not give life. But Jesus said, I came not into the world to condemn the world, but those that the world through me might be saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus, the way of the gospel. Jesus, the way of the cross. Back to Luke 9 again. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and slain and raised the third day. And he said unto them all, If any man come after me, must deny himself, take his cross, follow me daily. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? The way of the cross. The way of the cross. The way of the resurrected kingdom life.
You know, I think in practical application, that's simply what we've been talking about, these two words, follow me. When Jesus, when Jesus collected, and that's probably a poor word, but when he appointed to himself his disciples, he went around to them, and they were men from all different walks of life, and he just said simply, follow me. And you know, they just left whatever they were doing immediately and followed him. Do you find that amazing or is that just really easy to do? Immediately, they just left it all and followed him. Well, um, let's just uh, open our books to that ninth chapter of Luke for a moment as we think about Jesus being the way. The way of the gospel, the way of the cross, and the way of the kingdom. And we're going to go to the last part of this ninth chapter. And we're just going to start out here in the 56th verse. The Son of Man has come, is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went to another village. And, he came, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I'll follow thee whatsoever thou goest. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus the way is condescending. He gave up all of his temporal holdings. That's what that verse says to me. He gave up everything that was his, the whole creation, to be the way for whosoever will. You know, I think of a man that came to Jesus one time and he said, what good thing can I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus began to talk to him about the Ten Commandments. He said, well, if you would keep the commandments, that's how, you, how you'll have life. Well, I, he said, I've done all that. He said, what, what else do I lack? He said, well... You should give up your temporal holdings and come and follow me. And the, and the man didn't want to do that because he had a lot of possessions. And so my point with this is that kingdom living is giving up the temporal to gain the eternal. Am I willing to do that? Giving up the temporal to gain the eternal. You know, we cannot serve two masters. We can't be... Serving two kingdoms at the same time, that's impossible. Jesus said that. You can't do that. And you know, I find it, as I observe professors, that there is a lot of meddling in the wrong kingdom. Well, let's go on here. And he said to another, this verse 59, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And the, the point we want with that is, well, let, I want to illustrate this point, so I'm going to turn over to the 14th chapter of Luke and just read a few verses here. He said, this is Jesus teaching again, a certain man had a great supper and he bade many, sent his servant at supper time 
to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they, with all one consent, began to make excuse. And the first said, I've bought a piece of ground, need to go see it. I pray have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, I need to go prove them. I pray have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. <clears throat> what was the problem? The problem those three illustrate are land, livestock, and ladies. All temporal things. All excuses for not following Jesus. Kingdom living cannot defer the way that is best, which is Jesus, for that which is good and noble. Kingdom living cannot defer that which is best for that which is just good and noble. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go bid farewell to them which are at my home. And there were great multitudes with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And what he was talking about here was just loving less, but he's talking about family relationships. Family relationships must not interfere with following Christ and the standards that he has set forth in the kingdom for me to follow, and that really gets close home to me. Family relationships cannot stand in the way of the standards that Christ has given me to follow him in his kingdom. And Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what he's telling me here? He said, if I draw back from following him, I am not fit to be in glory with him forever. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Is my heart troubled? Or is it resting in him? As a benediction, I want to give us a couple of verses to think about. Um, one of them I'm going to take from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way, Walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. He's talking about a way here that is old, that is good, and that will bring rest. What is that? You know, to me, that way goes clear back to the garden and the promise of the Messiah. That's about as old as we see as recorded for us. And I'm going to submit to you 
that that way that was promised in the garden, that is old, that is good, and that brings rest, is the way of faith, the way of blood, and the way of a hope of a resurrection. That is the way that Jesus taught. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what the last part of this verse says? But they said, we'll not walk therein. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Today is the day for me to follow Jesus with all of my heart. Will I? I'd like for you all to stand in addiction prayer.